me ask you to turn to Job chapter 1. Job 1. Now, a lot of folks, whether they know much about the Bible or not, they, they at least know the name of Job. And a lot of folks say, yeah, I'm just a Job. And, you know, they think of their own circumstances. Uh, now, what we see in this passage is uh, a man who was greatly blessed by God in a lot of ways. He had a number of children. They got together. They had feasts together. He, as a father, was very caring for them, concerned about their relationship before the Lord. He was a man of great possessions, a wealthy man, certainly, by the standards of that day, by any standards. And we see Satan coming before God. Now, some people think that uh, Satan initiated uh, all this trouble for Job, but rather than that, if you read Job 1, you find out that God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? You see, he had a purpose in mind. Have you considered him? Satan evidently knew about him and knew about his great wealth. And God goes on to describe this one. And by the way, we're in a series called The Making of a Disciple. And I don't, if we were going to capsulize what a disciple is, this wouldn't be bad what God says about Job. He says to Satan, there's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now, Satan says to God, well, of course, of course he would be that way. Look at all the stuff you gave him. Look at all the blessings he has. And, and you've, you've put a hedge around him so he's always protected. Why would he not follow you? And so, God says, okay, you may raise your hand against those things of his. You can't touch his life. But we will see about this. And then Satan departs. The presence of the Lord. And we see the havoc begin. In verse 13. Now there was a day when his, that's Job's, sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. There came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, 
the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and uh, took them and struck down the servants and with the edge of the sword, I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Behold, a a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they were dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, what an awful story to even have to read. Much less imagine and to know that this took place. Much less to think, what would we do if it were in our life? But Lord, you preserved this account for a reason. And though we here have not experienced that kind of loss. Most here have experienced some kind of trials. And so we need a perspective from you. And so we would plead for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as I said, it's my contention that Job could be described as a disciple. So what was his reaction at this point? I could tell. I kind of caught you off guard by stopping where I did, didn't I? All of one tragedy upon another upon another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And yet, it is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. So, what was his reaction? Well, the next phrase. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. Grief. That's what they did in that day to show how they were grieving tear their clothes, shave their head, and begin to grieve. I don't ever do a funeral where I don't talk about the appropriateness of grief. We see the Lord Jesus standing at the tomb of one he loved, who wept, who grieved, who understood that loss, Did he have faith? Of course. Was that a black mark against him that he grieved? Of course not. Because 
he didn't sin. Paul, later in the New Testament, though, explains the difference between the grief of a disciple and the grief of just anyone out there who may not know anything about God. He says this in 1 Thessalonians, we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now it may look like it on the outside, we may may cry as many tears, we may feel it just as deeply, but the difference is there is a hope. And that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's different from the world's grieving. When we were in Haiti two weeks ago, on Sunday, I was uh, about to get up to preach. We were in a worship service. And the pastor had gotten word that a missionary family, American missionaries, and they're not affiliated with us, but they all know each other there. The Christian community, as you can imagine, is is very close. A family who had been there for a long time, part of them had been in an accident. They had been riding on a motorbike going to church, a father, his 16-year-old daughter, and 5-year-old son. The other part of the family had taken a different route. They were hit by another motorbike, hit and run, and... The pastor said that they are seriously injured. In the worship service, they stopped and they prayed to the Lord for that family. And then I got up to preach and providentially uh, a part of the application of my sermon was about how our life is a mist and all of our days are in his hands. After the sermon, before the service was over, we got word that the five-year-old had perished. The other two were still serious. We're going to be flown to the United States. We went on to another worship service, and then we were headed back and went by the hospital where the family was. The father was in surgery, and the daughter was in another part of that very hot hospital being taken care of. And I spoke to the mother just to assure her of our sympathy, of course, but also our prayers. And she spoke so calmly. She said, oh, you know, you never know. She said, it's, you know, it's hard. She told the story of exactly what happened. She talked about how this boy was with his brother that they had lost a few years earlier. We were headed back. Some who had seen and heard her speak said to me, well, do you think she was just in shock because of the way she was acting? And I said, well, you know what? I don't, I don't know her that well in terms of her personality. And, and it's possible that she was trying to be strong for the daughter and for for others there, but don't rule out that God works in times like that and that she has a deep faith. Here is 
uh, a family that is in Haiti, a large family in Haiti, I have to believe they have a strong faith. We should not attribute to natural causes that which God does for His children. I am convinced that in times like that, He gives extra grace and extra strength. Now, will she grieve, of course, more like we would think she would? I have no doubt of that. And yet, I believe we saw God working in her life. Now, here's the thing about Job in the book of Job. When it says he grieved, that's real life. This would have been an unrealistic account if it, if it said, he just said, well, thank the Lord for that and just went on about things. He started with the most natural reaction. He rose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, but the next phrase says, and worship. See, that's the difference there. He didn't fall on the ground and curse God or even show doubt toward God at that point. He had his struggles in the time to come. But his priority was to fall before God and to worship Him. Verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. You know what he was saying there? You know what? All all of those possessions that are now gone, and even my children, came from his good hand. I can't take anything with me. It all came from him in the first place. And then he says, as we just sang, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He knew where his blessings came from, that they all belong to God, and he acknowledged that whatever God wants is his anyway. And that's the difference. John Calvin says of this chapter, there is nothing better than to be subject to the majesty of God. That's not how I would have described it, but I think it's magnificent. Job understood the majesty of God and that even in these dire circumstances, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job believed what we sang earlier, whate'er my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I will be still whatever He doth and follow where He guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore, to Him I leave it all. He didn't have the Trinity hymn book, but he, He would have sung that with all of His heart. At age 30, in 1854, he lost his wife, Ellie, and their son. She was having the child. 
who died very quickly, and she began hemorrhaging and died as well. And Stonewall Jackson wrote this to his sister. I've been called to pass through the deep waters of affliction, but all has been satisfied. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is His will that my dear wife and child should no longer abide with me. And as it is His holy will, I am perfectly reconciled to the sad bereavement, though I deeply mourn my loss. Oh, the consolations of religion. I can willingly submit to anything if God strengthens me. Is he in shock? I don't believe so. I believe he was given extraordinary grace because a few weeks later he wrote something along the same line to his sister. She has now gone on a glorious visit through a gloomy portal. I look forward with delight to the day when I shall join her. Religion is all that I desire it to be. I am reconciled to my loss and have joy in the hope of a future reunion. Jackson understood, whate'er my God ordains is right. Though dark this lot that I've been given. He was a disciple of Jesus. Now I wanted to tell you about him because some just kind of write off Job and they say, well, yeah, that's the one example, you know, in history the, of somebody who had that perspective. But here is another man a few years ago. Now, here's the thing. It's not just about being tough. Not just about, you know, being strong like Job or, or following Jackson's example. That's not good enough. Because they didn't do it in their own strength and neither can we. It's about their God. And there is a theology that they believed. Jackson alluded to it. And though Job didn't have Romans 8, he believed the truths there. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, we see God's goodness being declared in spite of circumstances, not because of good circumstances, but in spite of circumstances. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now look, I'm not saying... Job had memorized this, but those truths are clearly in what he believed. Now, if you notice the words in this verse, it starts out with and. So you got to say, okay, what's it connected to? That's a connecting word. So you go back, and I don't think you go back just to the previous verse, but to everything that came before it. And if you go through Romans, you see chapters 1 through 3 where it talks about uh, the fall of man and, and the profound effect of sin on this world to where we live in a fallen world. And then in chapters uh, 4 and 5, we see 
the answer to that. And that's the cross. What Jesus did on the cross and his provision for us. And then chapters 6 and 7 talk about dealing with the sin that is, we still have to deal with in this life. And then we come to Romans 8. Romans 8, 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on through and talks about uh, living a spirit-controlled life and a, a realistic look at the suffering in this life compared to the glories of that life which is to come. And then it says, and we know. Now, what are the things that we can know? I want to tell you up front, this verse isn't going to tell you everything specifically, not just in that one verse. In fact, that's where Deuteronomy 29.29 comes in, where it it, it says that uh, the secret things belong to God. The things revealed are there for us and for our children. So there are some things that we're just not going to know the answers to, Most things and the things that we need to know the answers to, He reveals to us. So don't spend all your time trying to figure out the secret things if we needed to know those answers He would give them to us. And so, it says we know that in all things. Now we're going to talk about what He does in all things, but think for a moment. That phrase is important. It says, in all things. Suppose that you're facing something difficult, and some of you really are. And suppose uh, you couldn't see any good in what was going on and in the trial you're going through. And lots of times when you're in the middle of a trial, you can't see any good. And suppose this verse, instead of saying in all things, it said, well, you know, in some things God works for the good, of those who trust Him. Or in many things God works for the good. You know what we would say? Well, I'm, I'm quite sure that He does work for that good in many, many things, but certainly not in this. We would always feel like we were the exception, wouldn't we? Well, I'm one of those things that I guess isn't covered by this verse, but Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a message from God, he says, look, in all things. So it takes that argument away from us, saying there's no good in what's going on in my life. He says, oh yeah, because this is a truth. In all things, God works. For what reason? For the good. What can we know from that? Well, what we know is the kind of God we're dealing with. He is not a capricious God who, who you know, gets some kind of an evil pleasure out of seeing people suffer or go through hard times. But instead, any difficulty we go through is not wasted because He is a good God and He doesn't do evil things to His children. For whom? And this is a key. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's that's the ones, those are the ones 
who can be confident that when there are difficult things going on, it's for our good. If you're called according to his purpose, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, if you have a relationship with God through Christ, if you are his child. Now listen, I have heard through my ministry dozens of times people quote part of this verse. And some of those people could care less about God any other time. They, they aren't interested. And they say, well, you know, they do say that God works all things for good. And you know what? When that happens, it just makes me feel like my head's going to explode. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> because they've taken that verse and chopped the heart out of it. It doesn't say that just for anybody out there. It says, for his people, for those trusting in him. We are the ones who can be confident that he works for the good. If, if uh, you know, that's not just a cheap promise, it was paid for at the highest price, and that is the cross. And so, for those who ignore the cross or don't acknowledge it, you don't have hope that there's good coming out of difficulties you're going through. This is for the people of God. That's who he makes the promise for. There is something we should ask. Matthew Henry, he's a Bible commentator, he said, you know, when people go through uh, difficult trials, they often ask for strength to get through them, but they seldom ask God what he wants them to learn. Now, I don't want you to take that the wrong way and say, oh, man, God's, God's uh, he's out to get me and teach me a lesson. That's not the point. But if it's for our good, there is something that he wants us to learn. And so we should ask the question. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain writes, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Lord, help me through this, but as you do, will you show me what I need to learn from you? If you have any doubt as to whether all things work together for good of those who are called according to his purpose, we need to remember that not only does human suffering have a purpose, God demonstrated that so vividly to us by using the suffering of Jesus to bring about our redemption. You know, if you ever had any question whether any good can come out of suffering, look at the cross. That's precisely what he used to show us that the ugliest and the most difficult of trial he can use for his purpose in his good providence. Here's what we need to pray. Lord, help me interpret my circumstances in light of God's goodness. 
to look at my circumstances in light of God's goodness instead of interpret God in light of my circumstances. Don't, don't make yourself the center. Start with Him. In all this, we know God absolutely is sovereign and is absolutely good. And that's our only hope. That this world, this universe, our lives are not out of control, but under the sovereign, good, loving, and merciful hand of our Father. And the disciple will hold on to that. Now, I want to give you a twofold application to this for the disciple. First of all, the disciple in trials knows he needs the people of God. In trials, the disciple should know that he needs the people of God. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. If we suffer or go through trial, don't disappear from God's people. Don't withdraw from God's people and from His church. That's exactly the wrong way to go. Because it is precisely at that time that you need God's people, but also they need you. Don't waste that trial. It is often, in my experience, seeing a very difficult trial within a church that someone is going through, that God teaches many others lessons through that very thing. Do not withdraw from God's people. But secondly, in trials, the disciple knows that he'll get to know God better. (laughs) That's the real reward, isn't it? Remember Job? He made a right initial response, but then he went through a lot of a lot of chapters, <laughs> 41 more chapters of conversation, of wrestling with God, of bad advice from some friends, a little bit of good advice, of a spouse that, well, let's just say she was probably doing her best. But in the end, God gave the answer. And here's how Job came out of it. He says this in Job 42. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Here and I will speak. I'll question you and you make it known to me. Now catch this last part. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I've heard of you. He had known about God. He had a relationship with God. But now my eye sees you. Do you see what's happened? Because of all he went through. His relationship with God was that much deeper. He had seen the mighty hand of God in his life. He had seen the majesty of God. 
in our trials. May our eyes better see our loving Heavenly Father. Let's bow together.